Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman. Hey, everyone, your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. So last December, 2021, I had the pleasure of interviewing John Baldino, president of Humariso on our show. And we did a year in review talking about what challenges or nuances HR and other business leaders navigated over the last year. And during that interview, I asked John what his 2022 predictions were for what would be the areas of challenge or need for change in the workplace in this year. So today, a little over halfway through 2022, we are following up with John to get his update on if his predictions came true and what other challenges is he seeing that we didn't predict, but that we want to talk about today. So help me in welcoming Workplace MVP, John Baldino, president of Humoriso. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Jamie. Great to be back. Yes, it's always such a pleasure to have you on the show. I appreciate that. So I did want to start out for any new listeners that might be catching this episode that didn't have an opportunity to listen in in December. Tell us a little bit about your background and your career journey and in in growing your business. Sure. So uh, I am you know, 30 years still in human resources and, and, you know, in the veins of leadership development and organizational development and structure and all the employee life cycle components. And so uh, I started Humoriso. It'll actually be 10 years in a few weeks uh, for Humoriso. And so that's really fun. And we, uh, Humoriso is a full service HR consulting firm. And so we are, um, we just have a great time working with companies across the country, right? Of various sizes from startup to enterprise level clients. Um, I've got a great staff that's across the country and just doing some phenomenal work. And uh, it's really, really been a good time. And, and I'll, I'll just mention though, you know, my journey, um, as you, as you said, um, I, I started in personnel, right? Before there was human resources, it was personnel, and I say that because uh, I don't know that we've really um, <clears throat> kind of given enough um, props to the fact that in this discipline of human resources, we have had opportunity to evolve out of completely transactional work um, and mixing it now a bit with some transformational work, right? Like helping to look at organizations more holistically. And, and so, you know, those who are practicing HR in various organizations across the country, my colleagues in the profession, um, there's been a lot of movement over the last 30 years that I've been involved and probably more movement from a pace standpoint over the last three than, than any of the 27 before in many ways. Well, there's been so many changes, yes. <laughs> especially over the last couple of years. Yes. And even before then, I think there were changes, especially in that HR arena. So, wow, you've definitely come through a lot of that. And congratulations on your your upcoming anniversary. That's, that's exciting. Much. It is. It is very exciting. Thank you for that. Absolutely. So now the moment I'm sure our listeners are are looking for, you know, how did you fare in your predictions for this, this last year? So... <laughs> I'm going to start with the first one. So 
overall health of your employees, including religion, emotional, mental, and physical. We kind of talked about how employers need to really be looking at that that whole person as opposed to just the one component like physical, which a lot of them probably maybe have focused more on over the years. Um, so tell me a little bit about what are you seeing? Has that come true? Uh, it has. Uh, it is. <laughs> There's going to be a theme, I think, to all. You're like, I was right. No. <laughs> um, I I would say that you know for sure we've certainly not arrived, but I think that what we see over the last six months is a continued deepening of organizations looking at the overall person that works for them, not merely um, how do I keep them healthy so I keep my health insurance premiums lower, mm-hmm. right? Which that's unfortunately kind of what some of the attention had been previously. And then certainly we're not going to like talk down about the fact that we want our staff to be physically healthy. Of course, if we can provide opportunities for that, please, right, continue to do so. <clears throat> but I think that what you and I spoke about really was the holistic view, that there is an emotional component to what people are bringing into the workplace. If, if we didn't learn anything, from COVID and from that pandemic, and honestly, what we're still going through in certain parts of the country, for sure, um, it took an emotional toll on people. It was really difficult, right? Like it was really difficult to to stay in your house um, uh, under, you know, mandates from cities and or state. It was difficult for people to say, you cannot come into the office and see these people you've worked with for the last four, five, six, seven, ten 10 years, right? Stay away from each other. Uh, people are really dealing with some emotional and mental health challenges as a result of that. And I think that the wiser uh, companies uh, today are looking at that saying, we're seeing the residue of that. And we're really needing to be wise about how we provide an outlet for care for communication and consideration. Uh, and so we're watching organizations do things that they they weren't doing before. Even things like um, open chat channels on platforms like Slack or Teams or whatever you might be using to say it's it's we want to work in a spirit of transparency a little differently than we were previously. It wasn't that we weren't transparent at all before, perhaps, but now we've got to do it um, with a bit more intention and we're going to be proactive, right. In our, in our approach to those things, because if you're struggling today, we need to know, we're not going to judge you. We're really going to help provide some areas of support. Um, and if for nothing else, just so that people on your team can say, we're with you, we, we want to take a minute and not just look at what our production numbers are like for today. It matters. I get it. But we're also going to take a couple minutes and say, let's just do a pulse check. How's everybody feeling today? You know, green for great, yellow for I'm not so sure, red for I'm really struggling. You know, there's organizations that are kind of doing that stoplight pulse check. And that's great. You know, you don't have to have everybody tell you every bit of their deep, dark secrets or what they're really struggling with, because there is some protection there as well that needs to be um, understood, right? But is there an outlet for people to say, "I'm, I'm going to talk to HR? And I'm going to talk to whatever support structures we have within the organization 
and it needs to be what we're also seeing very deliberately is it's got to be more than just your immediate manager. It doesn't mean that it has to exclude the immediate manager, but it has to be more than just that because it might be uncomfortable for me to go to my direct supervisor and say, I'm not feeling great today. My body physically is fine, but I'm, I feel just overwhelmed and maybe even depressed. I'm not really sure, but I'm feeling it today. That may affect, because bias is real, right? That may affect the way a manager could look at that employee. So companies are being wiser about if you're feeling that way, here's here's some other places to go to talk about that, to report that, to ask for resources and support. And, And so we're seeing that happen more and more. So that's exciting, I would say, even though it doesn't sound like the reason for it is exciting. And I appreciate that. But it's wonderful that we're being much more deliberate about giving these kinds of resources and outlets. Yeah, just more mindful of that whole person at work. And yeah. they they might just need something, you know, that person and outlet to talk to. And, you know, and I would agree, sometimes the manager's not going to be the right person they want to have that conversation with. But I think a leader being able to show their own vulnerability yeah. and transparency to how they're feeling can make a huge yes. difference in how that employee shows up too. For sure. And, and, you know, you know, I like to have data and some statistics behind some of what I share, because I just want to make sure people know this isn't, you know, Baldino just waxing philosophical, right? Because he's bored. There's real numbers behind a lot of these things. And so even I would say since the start of the pandemic, um, and many of you who are listening may remember maybe the first six to 12 months of what we went through, um, organizations were doing uh, happy hours, right? Let's just get together on Zoom or Teams or what have you. And and everybody just let's have a happy hour together. And what we're seeing um, statistically is that there's been a a 60, depends on the survey, 60 to 65% drop off in the happy hour offering at organizations. And that is predominantly pushed because of a healthier outlet. What we found um, is that um, individuals at organizations who are struggling with emotional or mental health issues to then push them towards happy hour, right? Towards alcohol um, became a bit uncomfortable for some organizations. And they thought that's probably not a great outlet to offer to someone. The intention is great. We get it, right? The intention's great. Let's change the dynamic of it a little bit. Let's not push alcohol as the release in that, but rather the, the, the relational communication, rather the, the let me feel like I belong with some people. That's the better way to push things. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, kind of hanging out in that overall health, same vein, you know, something that I'm hearing and I heard, heard in some of the interviews I was doing at Sherm recently, where we ran into each other again, yes. um, was part of your DE&I structure is looking at that whole person um, and looking at kind of like, how do you support maybe that re- religion that that person wants to have shown up at work? And, you know, how do you make them feel welcome as that whole individual when you're looking at it spiritually? I mean, mental health, absolutely. Stigma is reducing everywhere, which is very exciting to see physical. We've kind of got that one down. Um, but like looking at that religion component, what are you seeing with some of the changes and what are you hearing, uh, within work environments and how they're starting to embrace different religions that individuals are coming to work with? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I would say out of all of the areas of consideration for individuals that are coming to work, it's probably the spiritual vein is probably the one that's still the weakest in terms of comfort because most business owners, senior leaders, managers don't know what to do with it, right? They, they're nervous that they may, may have some sort of compliance infraction um, by having a conversation with someone um, or being open to having a conversation with someone. And I think that the ones that are doing it really well, what we're seeing is that they are just providing a forum for communication and conversation around it. So for instance, there are some organizations that are being more thoughtful around um, spiritual and or religious diversity. Uh, what I know that there are people who wear, for instance, particular um, pieces of clothing that represent some of the spirituality that they're starting to pursue more. Also for those individuals who maybe during the remote time of the pandemic who are now coming back to work are coming back different as far as an expression of faith is concerned. And so um, it, you, you know, people don't know how to manage that relationship. Oh my goodness. You're, you're wearing perhaps something or your, your routine is very changed now. And I don't know if I can say certain things to you. Am I allowed to curse in front of you anymore? Could I split my, my ham sandwich with you anymore. I don't know what to do anymore. And I think that the ones that are doing it really well are, are creating a place for there to be um, safe conversation. Not everyone is an expert in every area of spirituality. There has to be a place to be able to say, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm predominantly ignorant in about this, this vein of spirituality that you're talking about. Can you, can you enlighten me? Can you tell me what it's been like for you? I don't have a frame of reference, but I'm really interested in understanding. I think that if you can provide that, that place for it to be safe, it doesn't mean it's the responsibility of the employer to have people pursue spirituality. That is not what we're saying, but rather when there is an outlet. And remember, religious accommodation is still a very real you know, federal allowance <laughs> within the law. So it, it should be comfortably discussed as anything else where there's an accommodation or a consideration at play. Um, we're seeing, again, not as high of a percentage as in the other veins of support, but it's starting to make a way. We actually even know a couple of organizations that have before work, there are some employees who are getting together to, to pray or to, to, to meditate. And they may meditate in their uh, towards or with a frame of reference towards their own spirituality, but they're doing it collectively um, in quiet in a room with others. Um, There's some organizations that we know that actually have a Bible study going on before work with some, whatever your people are bringing up to say that it might be helpful for them if they can start their day or end their day in a certain, be open to that. It doesn't mean that you're giving, you know, acceptance to everything, but just be open to that dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds very familiar to, I did another interview with a, a gal by the name of Samaya Khalifa, and she talked about even just, you know, being curious or wanting to know more is, yeah. is, a, is, you know, refreshing, you know, and, and being able to, uh, you know, say, you know, have a blessed Ramadan, you know, where yeah. normally you wouldn't hear that, but even just being aware of the fact that she's celebrating that and that she's fasting and, you know, maybe asking questions about what that looks like is, you know, can go a long way um, with an employee. 
Absolutely. And wouldn't it be nice to be able to have a conversation with an employee that you know to understand rather than being scared and telling someone, well, just Google it. Should, should we really be Googling how to understand everybody else's spiritual? I'd be terrified to do that. Like talk to somebody else and just ask them. I see that you're taking some time, extra time during the day. Like how exciting, what, what's that like for you? Yeah. It seems like you're much more centered. I'm really, you know, I'm jealous of that even. Like I love the fact that you have an honest conversation, be safe in that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Great advice. Love that. So looking at your second prediction was creative health options. So that need to think creatively and kind of a little bit out of the box on how you might accommodate somebody's overall health. So, you know, kind of expanding out of some of the traditional modes, like an EAP, um, you know, obviously all employers usually have an EAP for the most part. Um, you know, and that's always usually a standard kind of offering, but looking at what are some other ways that you can help those employees to, to promote self-care and taking care of themselves. So talk to me a little bit about what some of the things that you're seeing with that. Yeah. And, and again, I'm so excited to say this is gone in the right direction, right. Coming into this. You were year. right again is what I you're mean, saying. I don't yeah. thank you for saying that. <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> But the the idea, I would say, uh, first of all, just to make sure everybody has a frame of reference, right? So the EAP, the Employee Assistance Program, those of you that are involved, I'll say, with um, a smaller business, say under 100 employees, there's a good chance that your current medical benefit offering does not include an EAP. So your frame of reference may be very left of center in that. And, and that's okay. Please don't think that you've done something wrong um, or that your employer is not providing at a level that you need them to. Quite frankly, it's a, it's a product of the volume that goes behind the way health insurance is put together. And that's why the EAP isn't thrown in. Um, But there are things, so one of the areas that I've seen an uptick in is at the state level. Um, And for most states, there is an opportunity to connect to, um, uh, you can pick up the phone and dial 211, right? Just like you could dial 911 for an emergency. 211 can get you to a variety of support resources that in, for some things, mimic what an EAP would offer. So there's count, uh, opportunities for county counseling, um, for um, issues around physical health, uh, all of the health veins that we just spoke about um, and beyond. And so I, what, I, what we're seeing is, is that there's more organizations pushing out that 211 as part of sort of their, their uh, resource list within their organizations to say, don't be ashamed please use this, right? Even if we have an EAP, there's more stuff at the county level that quite honestly, your taxes are paying for. So tap into those things, right? Look for that help there. Um, But one of the things that's become, um, uh, I think a growing consideration coming into this year is a step back and looking at the ways in which from a creative standpoint, well-being, not wellness, but well-being is looked at. And so we're seeing uh, products and service out there now that are marketing to businesses to say, how's that health savings account going for you that you were you know, so keen on five years ago? Are people using that? 
um, oh, no, you know, there's money left over at the end of every year. They never use all the benefit that they have that they're entitled to. Or, you know, December 20th, everybody's running to CVS to buy Q-tips and cotton balls and contact lens solution, even when they don't wear contact lenses, like just because they want to spend this, this HSA, right, money that they have. And, and is that really the goal? Like the goal is not, let me stock my, my medicine cabinet with this stuff. That's not really, really helping me. And so this well-being offering is really, I think, more on a vein that we're going to see more and more of. We've, we're already seeing a consideration in a different way to this, where employers are saying, I'm going to split what I've been giving to this HSA between, yep, yeah, I'm going to keep money in, an, in a health savings account for you, totally, but I'm not going to put as much. And instead, I'm going to put some of the, that money over to a well-being um, uh, app cafeteria consideration. Again, I'm using cafeteria in a broader sense, meaning pick what works for you. Maybe you want to do things that are physically related for you. Great. You want, you, you want to take yoga classes. You want to get some equipment to use, whatever. But, but this well-being is also going to give you opportunities for your soul, for your spirit, for your mental health. I mean, there are things um, Therapy Notes does a great job with journals covering all kinds of mental health considerations that now an employee can use employer-funded components to buy these notebooks and start a journey of moving through anxiety or depression and keep themselves accountable in a comfortable way, right? Not to say that I'm, that can't be counseling as well, but this is sort of the upkeep in between visits, right? So to have these resources where well, my employer is not going to get involved with my therapy directly because I want to keep that boundary there. But my employer is providing me an opportunity for well-being to continue my therapy journey every day. And they don't even realize it because they're just providing me with, you know, some funds that can be used towards these kinds of resources. Maybe I care a lot about my environment, social issues. Can that affects my well-being? Here I can use some of these set-aside funds for this. So we're seeing creativity in, in probably the broadest way that I've ever seen it um, in the marketplace right now. And those companies that are trying to do things to be um, thoughtful about their current staff, but also to attract new staff from a talent acquisition standpoint, they're bragging about having this accessibility for the for their teams. And that is drawing potential candidates to their organizations who are looking to, to make a change. And that's a set apart that honestly organizations need today to capture talent. Yeah. Being a little innovative, kind of looking yeah. outside of the box, yes. not the standard. Yes. That's, that's great. And I know the next one was more flexibility, which I think has like an absolute key in today's working environment for employers to be looking at. So talk to me a little bit about what are you seeing from the flexibility side of it in terms of like how long the working day should look like, you know, what do those hours look like? Where are you working? You know, tell me a little bit about some of the things you're seeing that didn't go away after COVID. And in fact, if not anything, it increased. So Uh, totally right. Isn't that amazing? Like it didn't go away. And, you know, you had some, some people, some, some, well, I'm going to say well-meaning, but mm, maybe missing it a little bit who were saying it's all going to go back to normal. No, no. Right. And, and so part of that is not because, um, 
the workforce has become lazy. They just don't want to get on a subway and travel into New York City, right? They don't want to get in a car and, and fight LA traffic. Well, first of all, who does? Like, let's be honest. And and But the other part of it is, oh my goodness, people have been as productive at home or even on a hybrid schedule as they were when they were in five days a week. Maybe even more productive. Oh no, now what do we do? <laughs> this is terrible. And I, I think that we've got to be able to say, okay, some of somebody else's predictions may have been wrong. Of course, you know, not mine, but somebody else's predictions may have been wrong about how that was going to change back. And and I think that what we're seeing today is there there are a lot more candidates in the first, I'll say, phone screen or consideration of a new role. This is one of their first questions, right? Can, more than and sometimes even more than how much does the role pay but can i work from home can i work from home part time and come into an office what does hybrid look like does remote work mean i have to be at my house all the time or can i take my laptop anywhere i want to go to do the work now look i that's an it thing i know there's some security protocols for some organizations if you're looking to get a job in finance they're not going to love that you want to be on a cruise, you know, nine months of the year with picking up Wi-Fi signals from all different countries. That's going to cause an IT professional to have some issues. I get that. But by and large, um, individuals are looking for that kind of flexibility. And I think the smarter companies have said, yes, yeah, it can. Uh, it does not mean that you can't, though, still ask for some level of uh, balance. If you're an organization that does need to have people come in, if you're an organization that exclusively has to have people come in, you and I spoke last time about, you know, making pizzas, you can't do that remotely. You're going to have to come in somewhere, right? So depending on the industry, um, you know, don't apologize for it. Continue. And what we're seeing is organizations that are unapologetic, and I don't mean obnoxious, but but sure of who they are, what kind of work they do, and not having to apologize for it. If you work for a manufacturing company and you build things, you make things, that's really hard to do remotely. You're going to have to be together. Engineers will have to get together. Those that are working the manufacturing line have to be there to, to facilitate that production. Don't apologize for that. And we're seeing more companies be braver in that, which is healthy because we, we, you and I talked last time, we were starting to see a little bit of a caste system, right? Where there was like, it's better to have a remote role and terrible if you have to come into work. No, we're, we're seeing that come back to, I'd say center, but it doesn't mean that we're no longer offering remote work or hybrid work. Smarter companies that are looking to provide that kind of flexibility are doing so, I would say, with some flexibility of hours when possible. They are doing it with some longer gaps in between for some companies. So, so someone who is still a caretaker for, say, ailing parents or having some child care concerns that they have to take care of, that person saying, I'm going to need two hours, right? From 2 to 4 p.m., I, I, I can't work because I've got to go do these things, but I'm going to stay, come back and stay on until 7 p.m., right, to do my eight-hour day or whatever it might be. You're seeing some companies saying, I'm okay with that. I wouldn't have been two years ago, but we're, we're so much better now. 
And as long as your productivity is not hampered, as long as your performance continues to be at the level we need it to be, and as long as, and this third part is, is a smart question for organizations to always ask of each individual, as long as your team is aware of what that schedule is and can work with it, not around it, but work with it. Um, I think it's respectful all the way around because we have seen some companies not do this well and create friction amongst teammates because there's the impression that a few people feel like they are covering for this person constantly. It isn't true necessarily, but it feels like it because for two hours of the day, they're not around. I'm here working, but they're not. Have that conversation, right? We're seeing the smarter companies talking through that with their teams. Yeah. And I want, I, I, I know there's a question I have that I want to dive into is some of the cultural divides that are happening. And I want to kind of cover that here in just a little bit so I can get through, you know, showing off your, your smart, um, you know, predictions here and how they came through, but yeah, no, that's absolutely, there's, there's that internal perceptions that are happening, um, that I'm excited to dive into a little bit with you to see what you're seeing. Um, but changes in sick time was the last one that you predicted in terms of that more workers, you know, that, that, that being okay and coming into the office sick is not okay anymore. If you're sick, stay home. (laughs) And if you're sick, go home. But if you, you really can't work, be sick. And so I think you said in, in your interview, if you're sick, go home and be sick. Don't bring it here. Just stay where you need to be to get yourself back on track. I think that the superhero um, in all of us says, I, I'm good. I can yeah. make it. Is yeah. We have to rethink that now um, in terms of what we might have been doing before COVID. So tell me a little bit about what you're seeing with that one. Absolutely. Um, I think that um, what we're what we're seeing is that there are more um, organizations um, championing championing that sentiment, right? That they are not going to be able to um, be okay with people just showing up, being sick, and putting other people at risk. Even if it, look, it, I get we get colds. I understand that that they still exist, but um, why cause tension? Why cause nervousness? Why cause there to be some stress between people for unnecessary reasons, right? It's just silly. Um, Plus, we have people who have to be really thoughtful about how um, sickness um, affects their own well-being. To continue to push through those things does create statistically resentment with an organization, even if the organization is not directly asking you to plow through, they're telling you to be sick, but you keep showing up, you can still develop resentment towards that organization. And and so that residue is unnecessary. You are creating, right? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy of this company doesn't appreciate me. Um, That's a a bad thing, right? You don't want that. Um, And I think that organizations, what we're seeing in terms of the sick time is, we'd rather you take the extra time and, and yes, you have so many hours, right. But we've seen so much flexibility this, the past couple of years because of whether it's COVID sickness or not, but there's an accommodation consideration to this that I think there's wisdom in. And we're seeing more companies say, I I, I don't want to penny pinch about the hours. I really want to be thoughtful. Now there's always the exception. Yes. And I already see people shaking their heads while I'm saying this. 
Yes, I know there are people that take advantage. I know. I get to talk to them and say, why are you taking advantage of the company, right? I get it. But they are the exception. Believe me when I tell you, they are the exception, not the rule. And we have to stop legislating to the exception and start being considerate of those that are the majority. Yeah, very great advice. And a job well done on, on your predictions. And so, great job. Um, so we're going to dive into a quick commercial from our sponsor, and then we're going to look into what we're seeing in 2022 that we didn't talk about in that predictions show. So Workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a leading expert in providing behavioral health support to people and organizations facing disruption and critical incidents. Through our evidence-based interventions, specialized evaluations, and tailored behavioral health programs, we promote individual and collective psychological safety and thriving. To learn how we can help your workplace make tomorrow better than today by helping your people thrive, visit r3c.com today. So now looking at what we're seeing in workplaces today, you know, kind of looking at that cultural divide. So we kind of stay in the same vein of some of the things we've been talking about. Some of the things I'm hearing from HR leaders in the the conversations that I've been having is that even though they might've made that hybrid work environment or the remote work versus working in the office options for the entire team, when you start actually getting, you know, kind of settled into that, you know, some people are remote, some are in the office, some are kind of a combination of they're seeing that resentment you mentioned, and they're seeing conflict and basically culture breaking down between these employees because of the choices that each person made, even though they were both given that option. What are you seeing and what is some advice that you've been giving to leaders in terms of how they can navigate that unexpected um, kind of challenge? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, you know, it's a, it's a, first of all, it's a conversation, right? You've got to kind of bring the parties that are involved in this into a room and chat. And a room means like, you know, Zoom, <laughs> it just, just look at one another. I think that if you're only doing these things via email, you're missing it. And and certainly we foster um, levels of um, uh, resentment to to right come back to that word or stress because we're letting people fill in the blanks with our tone. And and we've got to stop whether that is email, whether it's a Slack channel, Teams channel. Stop just typing everything. Talk to someone. I, I know that sounds, you know, silly. And, and for some people, they might think it's old fashioned. John, it's not efficient. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you something. It is more efficient. Here's why. Because now I don't have to run back and have two more conversations to sort of fix a, an implied tone that someone heard, as opposed to just having the initial conversation. And yes, Yes, that conversation may take 10 minutes longer than the chat that I did on Teams, but that chat on Teams now led to 20 more minutes of conversation that I wound up having to have. I'm still net better 10 minutes if I had done it the the communicative right way in the beginning. So when people hear tone and they hear me say, I am so sorry that you have not been feeling well. Um, Is there anything that we can do? 
there's, there's a big difference than me just saying, I'm sorry what they hear. I'm sorry you've not been feeling well. What can we do? That sounds cold. You don't really care. I could mean it with all my heart, but they're not hearing my tone. They're not picking up on those things. So I would say that honestly is like the basic that should be done by organizations. Um, I have to tell you, I challenge even my own team often about getting on the phone or, or being in a video chat with people. Um, and that's not even because we're having tension with anyone, but just to remind them of the familiarity that talking to someone, even virtually face-to-face, right? What that does, what that means, um, how it affects the dynamic of the conversation, right? It, to do that intentionally is, is honestly a very smart strategy does not mean that you still can't use Slack or whatever you're using, just mix it up. And I think you're going to watch that issue, for instance, that that you just were mentioning, dissipate. It's not going to, even if someone thinks for a minute, oh, maybe maybe there's tension here. Maybe I should feel a certain sort of way. Because of the deposits you've made into the rapport development, they're going to tip the scales towards giving you the benefit of the doubt, a measure of grace, as opposed to there's nothing in that bank. I'm just going to think the worst right away. Mm-hmm. Well, and talking in person is so much more powerful. I'm with you. I, I mean, email can't capture it. I, you know, it, it, and how many emojis lost. can you do, right? Like how many I, punctuation marks and emo- like stop. That's going to become silly, right? Or then you use the wrong one and you're like, oops, that didn't send the right message. Oh my gosh, right. <laughs> or you're my mom who just sends random things emoji-wise to my kids. And they're always like, should we understand something here that my mom's trying to tell us? Like, no, no. She, they were at the beach. She thought she sent them a crab. She sent them a scorpion. My son's yeah. like, does she want me dead? What, like, what does this mean? Right. And, <laughs> And that's where we can laugh, right? Because and of yeah. my mom listens to this, I'm, I'm in big trouble. But the idea of there, we can, I can laugh about that with my kids and my mom because we have more in our relationship bank than just text messages, right? Right. It matters. It, matters. it does. Yeah. That's a great analogy to use and kind of comparison where you're not going to take it the wrong way because you understand the person yeah. behind it where yeah. With a coworker, you're going to only know them as far as you've allowed that relationship to build with them. So it it does kind of change that. So, and then the other, you know, kind of looking at this and, you know, this is something too, that we're seeing quite frequently within, you know, not really quite frequently, but really a common challenge that, you know, primarily like in a healthcare space they're experiencing, but I would say this is in probably a lot of other areas as well as the systemic disruption that workplaces are facing you know, this continued, you know, large scale events happening within the country, you know, the pandemic started and then the waves of the pandemic where, nope, the cases are down. Nope. They're back up and there's a surge. And then it's, you know, racial tensions, you know, civil unrest, you know, political divide, you know, we continue to see these things happening within our work environment, you know, within the world that is tipping into the work environments. And what it's creating is a lot of stress, some burnout. So what are some of the things that you're hearing from customers? And when you have a customer experience, what are you, what do you, where are you navigating them to get support for that? Yeah. I mean, it's a really great question. And I think that I typically, what we do is take a step back with some clients to say, let's, let's just talk about a general category to start with. And that general category is disruption. 
what is it that you would like to be known for when it comes to disruption? It's an interesting question, right, to ask an organization because it's like, well, John, we want to be leading disruption, right? We're innovative, right? We're creative. We, we want to be at the forefront of disruption in a healthy way to bring our technology forward or process forward, right, or, or product forward, whatever it might be. And so I'll say, okay, I believe you. I don't have a reason to not believe you. I'll believe you that, that that's your intention around disruption, so when disruption comes to you, why do you revert back to a non-innovative response? Where, where does that come from? And why is that the default trigger? What that tells me is that there's some behavioral modification that has to occur. We want to get to good old-fashioned psychology and say, I mean for X to be my response, but I keep defaulting to Y. Right, X and Y. What, what, where is that coming from? Stop and take a take stock of that. What we have found some organizations realizing is, darn it, we say we're innovative, but we're kind of scared of innovation. Or, or we we say we're really creative, but I, I if I really sit and think about it, I don't know when we've had a really robust creative idea, right? We found maybe another product or piece of software that helped us do things better, but is that creativity or is that efficiency? Oh man, we've, we've overlapped those words and we shouldn't have, right? Efficiency is something different. And so I, I think that if you can help what we, what we try to do is help organizations to say, let's talk about disruption itself. Don't worry about it being a social issue or something, a pandemic or something else. First, talk about disruption. Now, let's align your response or what you desire your response to be in disruption to your value system. Mm. What is the organization about? Why do you say it's about that? What does that mean to you and for you? And as a result, how might it impact the way in which disruption is then perceived? Because you may think that I'm doing it this way, but your value system is running counter to some of your approach and people don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to perceive what it is that they see. How do we help that? And so I think that there's a very, and I'm, I'm just giving you a couple of steps to start with. Certainly it's, it, there's a lot more to it, but working with organizations to say, let's just take it in pieces. If you, because what we're seeing, and I'll be very practical, what we're seeing in sort of a recent social disruption is in the Supreme Court change uh, for Roe v. Wade. And what, whatever side that you fall on, that's not what I'm, I'm getting at, but what it is certainly a disruption. It has certainly changed for 50 years what people had grown accustomed to. And so if you chose as an organization to say, down with the Supreme Court, we are now going to support every individual in our organization up to $4,000 each time that they seek a procedure like this, since the, if they work or uh, work and live in a state that no longer supports it, right? Because the federal mandate is gone. That's fine if that's what your response is, right? From a disruption standpoint. But are you looking at it just for today or are you looking at it long-term? One of the things, and again, this, this is practical 
and philosophical, where the roads meet, right? Because I have said to people, do you know what kind of utilization those services have been leaned on for your employee population to date? Do you have any sense of that? No, I don't. You may, your finance person is in a corner with a box of tissues sobbing because they're worried that in your 400,000 person organization, there could be 10,000 people who use this benefit even just once this year. That's a hit to the budget that was not planned for. And it isn't only about the social issue. It is all also about the financial impact. Be thoughtful about that. There's no magic in $4,000. And, and there's there has to be consideration for that. I'm saying those social issues are worthy of your consideration, but approach it the way that you would approach disruption as a whole. How do we you know, put all of our options in front of us? How do we talk through it? How do we collaborate on it with our teams? How, how do we get there? Because what, what that would tell us is not everybody's going to get their way. Someone might want $10,000 a year. Someone might say, don't give them a nickel because of how they might feel about the issue. That isn't the way you make a decision. It can't just be how people feel. That's a piece, but it's not all. How do you approach disruption and then apply it to social issues? Apply it to doing, quote, the right thing based on your value system of your organization. Don't lose sight of those things. Yeah, that's great advice too. And I mean, I think that's important is looking at the value system because at the end of the day, it, it does, when you go, especially, you know, public on some of those things, it's yes. a brand, it can affect your brand. So For it's sure. being mindful of where you, you know, and then ultimately can affect those employees too. So Absolutely. Very great advice. And listen, I'm going to make sure I say this. Companies that are given $4,000, great. That's not the issue, right? At all the issue. Yeah. But what happens in two years when, when you know, the issue isn't as much of a hot button, let's say, and you decide to kind of wind down that benefit a bit, take it from 4000 to two, or take it away completely because it doesn't, the budget's struggling. That may actually be a harder conversation now to have with your people because you were not thoughtful about it in all the ways you should be to start with. And I don't want to make it just about the money, but for the sake of our conversation, that's just an easy example to give. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, in either direction that you lean. Absolutely. So the other thing that we're kind of seeing and, you know, from what I've heard and what we see, and obviously we see a lot of it in the media as well, but, you know, staffing shortages and mass Mm -hmm. exodus out of certain industries. You know, I hear it, you know, I have a sister who's a teacher and she's like, teachers are leaving left and right. You know, you hear it in healthcare, nurses, yep. doctors leaving left and right. But then on top of that, we've also got staffing shortages across the board. So what are some of the things you're seeing and, and how are you helping, you know, leaders to navigate that? Well, and, and, you know, the other piece that is, is um, much more rampant in some ways, in some industries is layoff. We are seeing the layoffs that, you know, we talked about that were going to come and, and whether that's because of compensation reasons that they have to sort of right size what they, what we've been paying people. And so organizations are now like, oh my gosh, we can't afford this long-term or the funding that we got for our start. I mean, the amount of startups that are laying off people, just do a little research alone on tech startups. You're talking thousands of Americans 
have been laid off this year so far from tech startup companies or or Series E, Series B funded companies. That's like, oh, they get, we raised thirty million, we'll be fine. Thirty million. I'm going to tell you something, which is scary for me to say out loud. That goes quickly, right? You you hire a whole lot of people, it'll go quickly. So you your companies laying off might not sound like a lot. Oh, they so and so laid off four hundred people. Well, when they had seven hundred people. When they lay off 400, it's more than 50% of their workforce. Don't, don't be fooled to think, oh, it's only 400. Think about it as a percentage of the organization. That's a huge impact, let alone the huge organizations like Wells Fargo that are laying off a ton of people in mortgage lending and other divisions of, of lending as a whole because of the interest rate increase. So now you have people still wanting to find the job that they want, really want to work in. They're looking for something better than where they're currently working. They don't believe in the organization that they're a part of anymore, um, if they ever did, quite honestly, or they are still entertaining and being wooed by some really high-paying possible, possible roles. Um, but these same people now are sort of looking at the news and seeing, Oh, oh my gosh, like such and such just laid off 2,800 people and so-and-so just laid off 4,000 people and Netflix is laying off people. And some of these companies where you're like, oh shoot, I watch Netflix all day long. How can they not, how can they not have enough business? Uh, what's happening? Uh, now you have people taking a moment, which I'm so grateful for. They're taking a breath to say, do I want to self-select out of the company I'm a part of for what I perceive to be the grass being greener, knowing that there may not be a guarantee, I might be on the chopping block in three months if these, this layoff swing continues across the country. Mm-hmm. It's happening. We talked about it last time. The Verizon yeah. are laying people off. Amazon is laying people up, laying off people. It's happening. Yeah. So yeah. At, they have to be thoughtful about that. Now, that does not mean that the business owner or the manager now can be a jerk once again and say, ah, Yeah, go ahead. See if you can find something. No, 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 no. That's the wrong response. (laughs) The answer is, why, why, employee, are you looking elsewhere? Let's talk about this a little bit more. I don't, if it, it, because it really may not be about the money at this point, because now there may be nervousness. The right sizing may be happening with some uh, industries to bring down some salary ranges. What else is inspiring you to want to leave? Right. And mm-hmm. to hear from somebody to say, it's just, it's a thankless job. No one shows appreciation in this place. You get an offhanded thank you. Or the only way we show thank you is we have pizza the last Friday of every month for lunch. It's just not enough anymore. It's just not enough. And by the way, I'm on Atkins. I can't eat the pizza. Like nobody knows what's like, ask people. And it's so funny that we like, but, but there are so many people who are like, I don't eat the pizza. I don't mm-hmm. eat the tacos. I don't drink the alcohol. I don't, I, but nobody asks me. They assume I should be and assimilate like everybody else. And I live individually. I don't live corporately. Nobody's asking me. That is still where we're finding organizations struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that can make a big difference in an employee. Like just even that somebody needs something different than what we're going to serve you yeah. know, today. And, Can I and, get you a salad? Right? <laughs> you know? right. 
Right. And and listen, it's not about taking everybody's order. I understand right. that. But if you just have one way to show appreciation, and I'm picking on the pizza thing, right? Pizza yeah. Friday is the last Friday of the month. That If that's it, that is not going to meet everyone. It's just not. Even the people who like pizza, they want something different or they want to hear appreciation differently. And, and I want to make sure I say this because I think this is another dynamic that's really interesting because of what's been happening in the economy. Uh, this year alone, 1.7 million people who retired in the past year are returning to the workforce. Interesting. Wow. The early right? retirement didn't stick. <laughs> it did not stick, right? Because yeah. you, you look at your stocks, you look at your 401k and you're like, oh no, I'm not going to, I mean, you see the hit that the 401ks have taken this the past six to 12 months. Those that retired last year, are saying, I can't, now I'm not going to make it. I, I'm not going the what I'm, what I thought I was going to draw from has shrunk quite a bit and they're coming back. Now it doesn't mean that they're coming back to the same exact role or even full time, but it does mean that they're coming back into the workforce. And now the, the, what I, what I, now I'll sound like an old man, right? The young upstarts that are like, whoever's got the best offer for me, that's who I'll talk to. And you have retirees saying, I don't need the best offer. This is all I really need to make. And I only want to work 25 hours a week. So if you could give me that for the 25 hours a week, I'll get the same work done. For some roles, I can get almost full-time work done in that 25 hours. And so then the, the person who's thinking, make me an offer might hear from the employer, I don't have an offer to make you. We're covered. Well, and you get that retiree that's got how many years of experience that they can bring to the table. That's fantastic. So sounds like there's some pendulums shifting that are swinging going on in that, which is probably a, a, you know, refreshing to hear for some employers who maybe have been experiencing challenges in that area. So if you could give any advice, just wrapping up our show today, um, you know, advice to our listeners of what, you know, what they should be focused on and, you know, what you would advise them to, to kind of do in the next, you know, five months we have left of the year, what would you leave them with? I mean, there's so many things you could say, but if I'm going to just come down to really, really one core piece, it's talk to your teams, talk to them, not talk at them, not just listen to them, but communicate, converse with them. Um, if, if you're not doing that regularly, and, and I don't need it to be some formalized system where you're like, well, I, I conducted 17, you know, standup meetings with people this week. Take a minute. I'm not asking for it to be so categorized. Just make sure that there's a regular cadence of communication and real conversation. I think you're going to do really well as you run towards the end of the year. I think you'll do really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as normal of any conversation I have with you, we take up that full hour because it's such a great, great conversation, great insights and information. So if our listeners want to get a hold of you, learn more about your organization, or just get more advice from you, how can they get a hold of you? 
Thank you. I mean, certainly feel free to go to our website, humoriso.com. Um, I am super active on, on LinkedIn and Twitter, right? So look me up uh, on both. On Twitter, I'm JB Alive. Please feel free to follow lots of resources and, and information that, that gets pushed out there as well. So happy to connect. Oh, wonderful. And thank you so much again for being on our show, John, and sharing your great wisdom, your your, your predictions, your expertise, and, and kind of filling us in on how, how leaders can, can help navigate um, the current world that we're in with, with staffing and employees and other things. So thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Always awesome to be with you, Jamie. Thank you. Yes. And we also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you have not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. And if you are a Workplace MVP or know someone who is, we want to know or hear from you. So email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.